Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price. I'm a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital and immediate past president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series, I'll be interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, and some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country and indeed in the world to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening and welcome. My name is Paul Wheatley Price. I'm a medical oncologist here in Ottawa, and this is a special interview today that is going to be released at the Evening of Hope, the annual Lung Cancer Canada Evening of Hope, and also released on our Lung Cancer Voices podcast. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined from Oregon by uh, Dan Wanser. Welcome, Dan, to the Evening of Hope and to our podcast. Thank you, Paul. I am going to try and do less of the talking because I know people, Dan, are going to want to hear from you. But by way of brief uh, introduction, as I said, Dan is um, in Oregon, and I was pronouncing it Oregon as I pronounce Maryland and Newfoundland. So I'm now Oregon, trying to get it right. Dan, however, is much more important than my silly digressions. Dan has been a, a lung cancer patient and survivor for uh, many years now, since 2006, and we'll hear a bit of his story shortly. But also his life with lung cancer has taken him on some remarkable uh, journeys and, and avenues as an advocate, as a speaker, as a blogger, as an author, about to be, we hope, a published novelist, and you can, uh, you can pick up uh, Dan's book, Second Wind. You can look at his blog and the website is uh, danwanser.com, uh, Dan with two N's, D-A-N-N-W-O-N-S-E-R.com. Dan, I mean, we're just delighted that you could be part of Evening of Hope. Maybe for people viewing and listening, you could just start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, I live with my wife, who is the love of my life, and uh, I have uh, two children of my own, and she has one son, and uh, it's both of well, we were married before this, and uh, we have six grandchildren and uh, a great-granddaughter on the way in February. Wow, congratulations. And, yeah, and thank you. And is your whole family uh, close to you in, uh, in Portland? No, we've got, they're scattered around the country, around the U.S. Yeah, well, but they're pretty scattered. Let's just keep it simple. You were diagnosed with lung cancer some time ago, Dan. Could you maybe share a brief uh, sort of overview of your lung cancer story or history? Starting off, I was diagnosed after I had broken ribs. I had no symptoms of lung cancer. I broke some ribs, got an x-ray, and it showed a spot on my lung, which was shocking as it is for any of us. But I was a non-smoking vegetarian who worked out at the gym all the time, and it just didn't make any sense. And at the time, the internet was not as mature as it is now. The only thing I could find on online was statistics telling me that I was going to die, and probably within six to nine months. So uh, that's how it began, and I had chemo and surgery and more chemo, and 
made it four and a half years before any symptoms, anything came back up again on a CAT scan. Uh, when I was re-diagnosed with stage four. And since then I've been on, this is my fourth time around, and fourth course of, of chemo. I've been through immunotherapy, um, some targeted therapies, radiation. I've been in the wheelchair a couple of times. And a, and a bunch of other procedures that would just fill up the time too. But lots lots has happened in that seven years, and I've been in three clinical trials as well. Okay. So when you were first diagnosed, you said the information you could find was that you might have six to nine months to live. So just share for people now how long ago that was. That was uh, seventeen years and three months ago. <laughs> So I think there's probably in the evening of hope now. If, if not, everyone start clapping. <laughs> um, Don't we'll believe everything to... you read, and especially statistics that are hopelessly behind right. that you're going to find right. on the internet. And st statistics, uh, you know, can give people a guide to help with some planning and some precautions maybe, but nobody is a statistic. Um, okay, so Dan, 17 years. So that's going to be an encouragement to people listening just as a start point. But the, rep the reputation that you have in the lung cancer community, certainly when I was introduced to your story as of somebody who is very encouraging and your, the, the way that you have taken your lung cancer diagnosis and developed that and to all of the myriad of, of activities that you've been involved with, people have found this inspiring and encouraging how did you get started on that? How did that journey begin? How it started was I needed to tell family and friends about this, this diagnosis. And I thought, you know, every time you look someone in the eye and you tell them I have lung cancer, they look back at you like you're going to die soon. And I just couldn't handle the thought of going through that over and over with family and friends, that would be overwhelming. So I chose to write a group email to them, uh, telling them about my health. And I kept writing those emails. And, and then I started throwing in my optimism and throwing in some humor along the way too. And they started sending these emails to people I didn't even know you know, friends of friends and saying, I hope you don't mind. I sent this on to this person because I thought they could benefit from your, from your attitude. And so I looked at the internet and thought maybe I should start. Well, I'm a very private person to start with. If you said, how are you? I would have said, great. How are you? And done everything to avoid you asking any further questions. And to go from that, I decided I need to start one of these things they called a blog which was pretty new in 2006. <laughs> so that's what I did. That's how I got started as I started my blog and uh, have kept it going for this entire time with, with every email from the first one on in there. What, what is it do you think about the way you write or the things that you write that people do find so optimistic or encouraging? Is, is a, Are you just hardwired? As a, are you a glass half full person um, or, or was, it, was it a sort of conscious change or, or work on your own approach to this? Well, it's both because when you get that diagnosis, you, no matter what kind of a person you are, when you first get it, it's devastating and 
and all you can think of is that you're going to die. And it takes a while. But somewhere along the way, I went from thinking I was dying from cancer to living with it. And when I made that shift, that carried that carried over, that carried over into in, into how I was writing. And I think you can be optimistic, but you need to be realistic when you're doing it. It's not like telling yourself, okay, I'm going to be healed next year. That's very unlikely with a stage four diagnosis. Right. But I can be optimistic that there can be another treatment and that, that I'm going to do everything I can to make that treatment as effective as possible. We sort of decided before this, Dan, that we, we weren't going to really get into the details of your specific treatments because you've gone through Fine. quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just briefly, you have EGFR positive lung cancer. And, and have gone through various treatments, and you mentioned targeted therapy being one of those. So, you know, when you were first diagnosed in 2006, EGFR mutations had only just been discovered like a, a year or two before that. So I guess one of the things may, maybe you could have a, a perspective on is if you, you've lived and lived and lived, and it, during the time new, develops of, new developments have come along, specifically in EGFR lung cancer, you've you've survived to see new benefits. And I, I wondered if you had a, a perspective on, on that and, 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 what do you, and what do you think it is that, that works in helping you with this approach? I, I, well, it has just exploded. And then I think anybody who has lived as long as me would be more hopeful just because of all the changes I've seen. The only options at that time were chemo, which is pretty much the same as it had been for the last 20 or 30 years mm -hmm. and radiation and surgery. And that was it. That's right. And, you know, now it, it has just exploded. You know, there's targeted therapies, uh, immunotherapies, antibody drug conjugates, and there's other strategies that they're doing. There's so many that I can't keep up, whereas before yeah. it was easy to casually keep up. So the way I look at it is, Make each treatment last as long as you can. And then I, I feel like a frog that's on a lily pad. And as soon as it starts to sink, I need to leap onto the next one. And so I just keep hoping there's another lily pad. So I just you know, keep staying alive until that next treatment is there for me. Now, you, you used a phrase with, uh, with me earlier, Dan, as we, just before we started recording this, I've written it down, to survive and to live. I love that. Could you expand on where that came from in your, and what you mean by that? I, I think that that whole thing, it, it all comes with, with the attitude part too, is the goal is not just to not die. That's a pitiful goal that doesn't, that's not very motivating for me. I want to live and have a full life. And so what I've learned how to do is to, is to live on two tracks at the same time. The one track is I'm going to die and that could happen, you know, within months or a year. And, and the other is that I'm going to continue living. And I plan for both at the same time. You have to plan for both because you don't know which one it's going to be. If you just plan that you're going to die, well, you're not going to have a life. So you plan to live. And you have all these goals and all these things you want to do. And maybe you'll get to them and maybe you won't. But but 
your life will be a success because you're you're doing what you want to do for as long as you can do it. What what are some of those highlights? Have you got highlights that you've that you've lived for because you have lived with this disease for seventeen years? Yes, yes. Well, the the, the number one highlight is love, and that that's the, the love of my life. She has been amazing, and and I would walk through fire for her. And and I've had more time with her, and I've had time, more time with my with my family, and so that's that's an important piece of it. And uh, I've gotten to achieve things I didn't expect to, like I like writing my book, Second Wind, Thriving with Cancer. Oh, by the way, I should flash it up here and also say one more thing. Yeah. which is an announcement that for the next three days, if you go, not today, but November 13th to the 16th, that book is available free on Amazon. Oh, wow. So, and and I do that uh, every year in November at some point for Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Wow. So that, that's an achievement I never expected to do. And and I just finished my novel, my first novel, which has taken me four years to write. That's another thing that I've achieved, which has been terrific. And then some of it is just living, like getting out there on the golf course and doing my yoga and meditating and and uh, daily walks with Genevieve. I'd rather be back in the gym, but uh, COVID has kind of slowed me out of that for a while. Right. So... Look, you've mentioned that you've been on a number of treatments over the years, which of course means that some of them have worked well and some of them would have either not worked so well or, or stopped working. Peaks and troughs, feast and famine. Um, how have you, well, let's do this in two parts. Maybe how have you dealt with, the, how have you approached the good times? Maybe you've already answered that, but how yeah. have you approached the good times? And then how do you approach the times when it's, when it's hard, there's some progression, there's more uncertainty. You know, every time I'm doing well, it feels like this could go on forever and I could die of old age one day. And then as soon as it crashes, it feels like it could end in a month. So when I hit that crash, I'm down and, and I just allow myself to be down. And it takes a while to recover because I, I'm filled with thoughts of doom and everything is horrible, and I'm going to die. I better say my last goodbyes to everybody. You know, all of those horrible thoughts. But I know if I just give it time, you know, this is something I've learned. I didn't know when I first did it. But if I just give it some time to process it, and then I can start getting perspective again. And perspective is everything. It's like, okay, this next treatment usually works for people or I've got a good shot at it at least. So I'm going to give it my best and see how it goes. And I'm going to get back up again. And it gets easier every day after that. Okay. So you allow yourself to be like, Oh my gosh, this is the, the, the gloom, the uncertainty. I mean, how long does that take for you to get through those, dark periods and do you have support beyond uh genevieve that you get counselors or support outside your family yeah yeah well as far as how long it takes the, the the very first time i was diagnosed 
I don't know, weeks, months. I mean, it, it takes a long time, but it's happening enough. It's happened in, enough times. This is my seventh line of treatment, which means I've had an initial diagnosis and then six more times it's progressed that this is familiar. And, and this time it was much quicker for me. It was, it was a matter of a few days. Yeah, but as far as the supports you were asking about, yeah. you know, beyond Genevieve, um, one of those is really important to me is that uh, we have a local lung cancer survivor group. And we meet, uh, we meet up by Zoom every month. And this, I mean, I just got a text from one of those people this morning and, and that's not uncommon to get that kind of thing. Yeah. And then there's the online support groups and then there's the, the other family and friends too. And I guess people listening to this should know that in Canada, those support groups exist uh, in person, online, not everywhere. We can certainly do better, but, um, and you and you could reach out to the Lung Cancer Canada office after this to, to find out what might be available in, in your area. Dan, uh, I want to go to a difficult place, if you don't mind. We sort of semi-prepped for this before. Yeah. Your, your, yeah. your latest blog posting, and I'm just looking over at the, on my other screen was from just two or three weeks ago when you've had um, a, a, the latest progression and starting a, a new treatment. And in your blog, you write this, I feel even worse for Genevieve. She was holding back the tears when she told me that she wouldn't blame me if I refused chemo. I told her I'm determined to live and get through this so we can return to better times. Skipping chemo is not up for debate. But for some people, skipping chemo would be the right answer. And they would reach a point where they don't want to do more treatment. And, and I just wondered if you had an insight into, I guess, what Genevieve told you when, when she said it's okay if you don't do chemo. Uh, and this, how important is that kind of support of sort of allowing you to, like, no pressure to, yeah. did that make sense, my question? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I learned I learned two things when she asked me that question. One is that she loves me enough to let me go and to make it clear that um, uh, she would not be selfish and the other is that she doesn't understand. She looks at it from the outside and, and it, it feels worse to her than it does to me. I've watched her when I've gone through chemo before and she thinks I'm suffering. And I don't think I'm suffering. I think I'm going through a hard time, but it has a purpose. And I'm making a trade-off. I'm, I'm deciding to go through the hard time to get to a goal. But but she's full of compassion and she sees the hurt and she imagined it's even worse. And it was the same thing, you know, every time I go in and get a blood draw or an infusion, she's turning away like this when I'm getting it because she's feeling the pain more than I am. And yeah, I'm using emlocrine, so my arm is numb. I'm not feeling it, but but she's still feeling the pain for me. So uh, she's she's loaded with with all of this compassion and, and feels it worse than me. I think it's so hard on the caregivers because they have no control and they don't get to feel it themselves. 
so they can't fully understand what it's like. And they're just in a helpless position. And they don't, and you try and get a caregiver to take care of themselves is pretty difficult because they keep saying, the problem is not me, the problem is my, my loved one. And I'll feel better if they feel better. And that's, that's as much as you can get. And they really need more self-care than that. Right. Okay. And how are you feeling about this latest treatment you've, you're starting on? You, you set yourself some criteria again in this, that same blog about, uh, about how you would look for a clinical trial. Um, but how are you, have you started a new treatment now? Uh, no, the, I, I will. Well, yes, I started the chemo um, two weeks ago, as soon as there was progression. It's my doctor. I couldn't argue with her. I had to get back in better shape before I could even qualify for a trial. Okay. And um, and so I started chemo, and I'm excited about this because two weeks in, the side effects are better than the other three times, and and I'm breathing easier every day. So I'm seeing uh, an accomplishment every day, and that feels terrific. So that's optimistic for me. Dan, we haven't talked about a whole lot. We haven't talked about your public speaking, your role uh, with clinical research in being a patient voice in reviewing protocols and developing plain language summaries or, or lobbying and sitting on panels. We, we may have to get you back on another podcast to talk about the, the more sort of formal advocacy roles that you've been involved in. But maybe just uh, in, in closing, I could ask you to imagine that people who are listening to the podcast or are attending the Evening of Hope have just recently been diagnosed with lung cancer or they're a caregiver of, of someone who's recently been diagnosed. And with someone with your sort of immense experience in all different facets of this, what, what would be your words to them? I, I would say, don't be hard on yourself. You've got a big job in front of you right now. And the number one job is you take care of yourself. And you do that in every way that you can think of. And then you keep trying to imagine more ways to take care of yourself. And then when you don't do that well at taking care of yourself, you give yourself permission to do that. It's okay because you can't be perfect at it. and It'll just lead you to beat up on yourself if you do. So just do the best you can to take care of yourself in every way you can. The advocacy comes later when you've got time. I think I was in it seven or eight years before I went to my first Longevity Hope Summit and got excited about doing more things because I saw all these other people. Up until then, I'd been thinking, hey, I've got a full-time job and I've, and I've got lung cancer. I've got my hands full. I, I can't take on anything else. And then I saw all these other people, all these other people doing things and decide, well, maybe I can. So every now and then I'd slip in another one and see how it was going. Okay. But number one, take care of yourself and don't expect to be perfect at it and allow yourself to not be perfect at it. Is that Yes, yeah. absolutely. That's, a, that's the most important part. That is wonderful advice. Dan, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us north of the 49th parallel for our Lung Cancer Canada uh, Evening of Hope and our Lung Cancer Voices podcast. It's, it's just been a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure, Paul. Thank you. And uh, wishing everyone the best. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. 
please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.